of heights to the depths of the sea. And then in verse 7 it says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. And thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And what a shock this must have been for David. He was totally into this story as a shepherd. I mean, Nathan, I mean, God gave this parable to Nathan to tell to David. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. God sent the prophet Nathan to David to make him aware of the consequences by applying a parable with alarming simplicity. Nathan had to shock David into seeing his sin for what it was. God shows us our sin one by one, that he may save us one by one. A personal salvation requires a personal conviction of sin. It wasn't enough for David to confess that he was a sinner in a general sense. He had to confess his sin at this very point. The confession of his sin needed to be specific. If we are truly repentant of our sins, we must confess them to God specifically. Now here's Pastor Rob. Now therefore, notice the consequence of the sin. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. And here's where the hammer drops. Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However... Notice, again, another consequence. Because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And notice another consequence. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. So this is a horrible situation. A horrible situation. And yet this is being played out in so many lives in America today. Maybe not the murder so much, but the adultery, yes. People that have been close to me, people that I've known have, that this has happened. This has happened. And it's time that we take a very good look at it. And we ask God, say, God, would you cleanse my heart? Would you purify my heart? That I would not even look upon a maid. I remember uh, Job made that commitment. 
I've made a, a covenant with my eyes that I would not look on a maid. And, and it's not just men today. Now it's women. And now things are getting really strange. The things that I would blush to think about women doing, they're doing today. So it's really important that we take heed to the truth of the Word of God. And we take heed to our own hearts. For it, for out of it comes forth the issues of life, doesn't it? So we need to take good care of this heart. We need to guard it with all diligence. Are you guarding your heart with all diligence? Guard it. It's so precious to God. Do you know your heart is precious? And not just your physical organ pumping blood into your body, but your, the seed of your emotions, everything that you are, your heart. That thing that makes decisions. That thing that's tempted. That thing that is, can be dissatisfied and needs some kind of release. Let's go back to verse 1. There's a lot of things in this chapter. Notice it says that the Lord sent Nathan to David. The fact that Nathan had to come to David was certainly the Lord's mercy for David because David was not willing to address his own sin. Now David had been wrestling with this for about a year. Can you imagine? A year has passed by from the, from the adultery and from the murder and now a year goes by, and during that year, David was dying inside. He was dying inside. It was like a cancer eating at him. He knew that what he did was wrong. The conviction of God was upon him, and there were times where I'm sure he tried to fight off that conviction. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a, a, been convicted by the Spirit of God, and then you found, your, you found something that you could do to release yourself from the conviction? You found something to do to get your mind off of it. You tried to do anything to quell that, that conviction. And, and unfortunately, because of our nature, our old nature especially, we find ways to numb that conscience. We don't want to deal with it. And David was at that place. He knew he was wrong. But a year goes by and his heart is still in, in, in tumult. We, we'll read Psalm 51 tonight and we'll see the kind of tumult that his heart was in, how he was in agony. And sin is, a, is an awful thing like that, isn't it? Left unconfessed, we, it just eats us. It eats us from the inside out. We can't sleep, we can't think. It seems like everything that we pray is just hitting the ceiling. Our worship starts to fall apart. Our relationships horizontally fall apart because this relationship vertically is falling apart. Everything is falling apart. And notice that if this relationship is good, chances are that everything on this plane is going to be well as well. But when this breaks down, everything falls apart. Everything. And I believe it was the Lord's mercy that he sent Nathan I think the Lord was looking at David and his turmoil and his guilt and saying, David, how long is it going to be before you finally break? Before you finally just confess it and own it? Just own it. And the Lord looks down and sees his son just in anguish. And the Lord says, you know what, I can't, I can't let you go on like this. And aren't you glad that you serve a merciful God like that, a loving God? Now, most people would say, well, if he's a loving God, he just let me be. 
No, but God is a God of love, and he hates to see what sin does to you and me. And if we leave it unchecked, God will intervene, and he'll bring it to our attention. And if we're not listening, he'll bring it to someone else's attention to come and tell you. And that's what happens here. He loves us enough to not want us to continue in agony. And so the rich man, and so, um, excuse me, it says that um, Nathan gives him this parable. This parable. And he says, and he came to him and said, there were two men in, in the city, one rich and the other poor, and the rich man had exceeding many flocks, and the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, a, a, a little lamb, which had been... Um, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and, and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. You know, they do that in Israel. And they did that during the Passover lamb. They would get the lamb on the 10th day, and it would be with them for several days, for at least three or four days or more. And they would, they would and the kids, can you imagine, have you seen a lamb, how cute they are? Especially a lamb of the first year that are white as snow. Their ears look like little buttons. You know, they're the cutest thing in the world. And, and how can you see something like that be sacrificed? You know, and it's just it's a really hard thing. And so this man had one little ewe lamb. Who is that little ewe lamb that Nathan is talking about? It's Bathsheba. He's given a parable to David. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take his own flock from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one of the wayfaring men who had come in him. But he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. So we now we see that the rich man here is being portrayed as David. The poor man is Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And the little ewe lamb is Bathsheba. And David doesn't recognize this. As a shepherd that he is, he is so into this parable. He's listening to it, and as each phrase is coming out of Nathan's mouth, David's blood pressure begins to boil. Because in his heart as a shepherd, you just, this is something you don't do. You don't go to another man's field and steal a lamb. You, you do with your own. And so, verse 6, he, and he shall, and so, I'm sorry, back in verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Again, just the anger of a true shepherd, a good shepherd that David was. He wasn't so much a good shepherd at this time in his life, but David was a good shepherd. And that's partly what gave him such anger. This is just unheard of. And notice what David said. Not only shall he surely die, but he shall restore fourfold to the lamb because he had done this thing and because he had no pity. Isn't it funny that he said he, he first should die and then he's got to repay? Isn't that what, I mean, how can you repay if you're already dead? So you can see how David is becoming unhinged again. This sin had taken a part of his life so much that he's not even really being coherent and not only that, the law didn't require the death of a person who stole a lamb. This was just David's wrath speaking. Often when we're angry, our hearts, isn't this true? Our hearts can become so sour and so ugly that it goes way beyond the law's demands. And this is just the result of the fall in us, isn't it? The fall of man. 
The law says this, but we can get so angry that we want to go above and beyond the law. In James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, notice, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is not going to be meted out by David in this, in this parable by telling him that this man should surely die. Is that going to bring about the righteousness of God? But notice it says, Be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. But what was David doing here? He was quick to speak and quick to wrath. Exactly opposite of what James would tell us many years afterwards. But what does the law say for somebody who has stolen a lamb? In Exodus 22, it tells us, if a man steals an ox, this is verse 1 of Exodus 22, you might want to write that in the margin of your Bible. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Four sheep. So David had it right. He should have restored fourfold. But kill the man? Isn't this usually the case when we see our sin in someone else? We hate it even more when we see it in somebody else. We look at the mirror, we look in the mirror, and we see the issue of our own heart, which may be the same exact thing, but it doesn't bother us so much. But when we see that very same thing in someone else's life, it just causes the anger to rise up. And this is exactly what happened with David. David knew In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Isn't that what was happening here? David's all upset about the lamb. He's got this beam hanging out of his eye. And this other guy's got a speck in his eye. Or how can you, Jesus said, say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And that's what happens when we are in sin. It always looks worse on somebody else, but on us, not so much. We look in the mirror and say, oh, you're so handsome. (laughs) <laughs> but then we see it in somebody else, and it just brings up the ire, doesn't it? And we get angry. And because of David's own moral failure, he seemed unable or unwilling to correct these things. And we'll see that he was unwilling even, not only to in his own life, but in the life of his family. As we go on into the book of 2 Samuel, we're going to see David's family slowly coming unhinged as well. And then in verse 7 it says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. And thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. 
and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And what a shock this must have been for David. He was totally into this story as a shepherd. I mean, Nathan, I mean, God gave this parable to Nathan to tell to David. Because God knew how best to bring David out. All he had to do was bring up a shepherd and a lamb being stolen out of a field. And boy, that would just engage David like no one else. He said, you are the man. And have you ever been, have you ever been sleeping and a loud noise wakes you? Or have you had a best friend throw cold water on you while you were sleeping and you wake up? Have you had anything in your life where you've been jostled so quickly, it just it shocked you? This is what this was for him. Because David's hearing this parable. And Nathan says, you're the man. And David, all of a sudden, everything just flooded right into his memory. The thing that he'd been trying to put away and put away from him was coming front and center, and the conviction fell just like that. It was a hammer blow from heaven, and the conviction of God fell upon him. Has it ever happened to you? The conviction? Again, exciting thing to talk about on a Thursday night, right? (laughs) But it is in the Word of God. And we must talk about it. It's not an easy topic to talk about, but has that ever happened to you where you've sinned a sin or done something and the conviction immediately comes upon you? Thank God for that conviction. You know why? Because if you are, if you are not convicted when these kinds of things happen in your life, when God convicts you of a sin, there's a real problem. Because it's possible to continue in a sin and to do something for so long and not get, and not get caught that your heart becomes calloused, it becomes seared pretty soon, and you've avoided the spirit, the voice of God, the spirit, of, the voice of the Spirit of God for so long that you become numb to it. And hopefully, none of us get to that place where we become numb to sin. I think it's a great gift the conviction of God upon our lives. And whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be any one of these great sins that we're talking about. It could be anything, but the conviction of God is a wonderful gift for us. I like to think of it as a gift because if I'm convicted about something, I'm thankful that the Lord is still working and, I'm, you know, and we're sensitive to the moving of His Spirit. It's when I don't care and I can care less. That's when I begin to worry. But notice, the Lord goes on in verse 8, he says, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have also given you much more. See, it was a customary thing when a king overthrew another king in the ancient Middle East that there was... um, uh, that the new king or the king that succeeded or conquered the other king, he would also take the other king's harem. That was very customary in the ancient Middle East. The Bible doesn't mention that David took any of Saul's wives to himself. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it didn't happen, but there's no record of it at all. The only wife's name of Saul that we know of is in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 50. Her name was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimez, but other than that, we don't know of any other wife. And then the Lord goes on and he says, Why have you despised 
the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And again, David, when you look at this, he committed at least two sins here. We know when we look at the Ten Commandments, these are fairly obvious to us, but this week as I was looking at this again, I found that there are probably six out of ten that David was guilty of. Because sin begets sin, doesn't it? Sin never likes to be alone. It always likes to have a companion, and it always likes to have more. And whenever you sin and try to cover up, you've got to do other things to keep that quiet. And sin begets sin begets sin. It's like Jesus said, it's like yeast and and bread. You put a little bit of it in there, and it begins to grow, and pretty soon you've got this big plump of dough. And that's what sin is. That's what sin does. But we know the very obvious ones. In Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. We know he was guilty of that. You shall not commit adultery. Certainly he was guilty of that. But what about also these commandments? 8, 9, and 10 of Exodus, or the 8th, 9th, and 10th commandment. You shall not steal. He stole another man's wife. (laughs) And you shall not bear false witness. That's another one. David used deceit and lies to get Uriah to go down to his own house and be with his wife. He lied to him. He he wasn't telling him the truth. He was bearing false witness. So now you've got another sin. And then in verse 17 of Exodus 20, it says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his house, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox or his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Certainly David was coveting. Bathsheba before he had even did anything about it. That was probably the original part of it. He coveted her. So now we got five sins. Five commandments broken. But arguably, he also broke the very first commandment. And what is that? You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I don't think David was one of these individuals who was dominated by a particular sin. I think he was set up. I think David's own character at that moment, he, he made some really bad mistakes here. But I don't think David was one of those guys where he was always ogling women. I don't think David was one of these people that had a great problem here. But he had a problem in this instance because he allowed it to continue. And isn't it true that lust and adultery, fornication... Although not in David's case, it didn't rule over him in the sense that it was something that it was always on his mind. I mean, when I think of these things, I think of Samson. That was one man who was given over to those kinds of things. We see that meted out in his life, but not so David. David just made a really horrible mistake. But the first commandment is, have no other gods before me but lust and fornication, adultery. They can become a god to a person. I've seen it with people, with men and women. It becomes a God to them. It becomes the thing that satisfies their soul. It becomes the thing that they will do above anything else. It's it's like the thing that they're, they're just bent on. In Romans chapter 13, so now we, we see David breaking six of the ten. And that's usually what sin does. It's never happy just by itself. It's got a, it needs some friends to come along and join the party, right? In Romans 13, Paul, writing to them, he says, 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Sound familiar? You shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.